Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Raven Cook. Beyond the Veil is a podcast that combines African American history, poetry, and visual arts to get you thinking of the incredible ways that you, yes you, can make a difference in the world. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, so now that you've heard a little bit of the intro, um, just opening the show up by telling you a little bit about who I am. So, my name is Raven Cook, and I am a young black woman, and one of my biggest passions in life is teaching African American history. I do this in a couple of ways. Um, professionally, I work in museum spaces and I really try to help people understand difficult topics of like race and identity using visual arts. So that's an area that I absolutely never thought that I would do, but it's been an incredible experience to be able to work with adults and kids and all people and, and really get them thinking about race and identity in a new landscape of the visual and then integrating uh you know um, sound and talking about writings and all these different things so just creative ways of teaching history which is what I always aspired to do um and then when I'm in the community I do a lot of work with radio stations and I also do a lot of work uh with different um different spaces so I'll I'll present different programs that have a focus based on African-American history so I'm I'm all about teaching the history of my community and I just do it in really creative ways and ways that are able to access all people's uh, different learning styles and really ensure that we have like a community of engagers in this idea of understanding African-American history. Now, why do I like African-American history so much? I don't know. But I will say when I was really young, I was introduced to African-American history. I was in the third grade and I had this teacher who just made the stories like come alive. Like he, he made the people just like walk in the space with you and sit and talk to you about their reality. And it was so powerful to me to watch him do that and to have this incredible oratory skill of like uh, in, introducing us as young people to black history, but also really making us proud of the legacy of our ancestors. Um, so doing that and then like going to college and studying African-American history, it's all just kind of been my life's path, if you will. So it's been something I'm really passionate about. Beyond the Veil, the program, it came about last year and when Anchor actually came out. I'm so grateful for a platform like Anchor, um, which is an app that you can use that is able to allow you to record podcast shows and it teaches you kind of how to create segments and all of that. So this app has been really important to me and it's really given me a space to be able to be a content creator in the way that I want to in a way that is cool to me um do i always use it no but 
it is something that I really feel like now in a time where there's so much political unrest and so many people are just looking for an outlet. This could be mine. And I I hope and pray that it will grow and, and manifest into other great things. Uh, but for here, you know, um, we'll start here. Um, there's this saying that I grew up with where my mom would always say, do not despise, despise small beginnings. And so with this, I, I don't. And I really am grateful for this opportunity to do this work. So Beyond the Veil, the name comes from um, Dr. Du Bois. And we'll talk a little bit about him in just a second. But I do want to reiterate that uh, this idea of a space where we can create is so important. And I encourage you to use any gift that you have, be it writing or, you know, becoming a content uh, podcast creator yourself or a musician or a filmmaker or whatever. And you can start small and then just develop it, but start somewhere and then create a space where you can really process the anger or the frustration or the concern that you feel about the times that you're living in. And you never know who may be listening. So I want to thank you for tuning in to Beyond the Veil. And I hope that you continue to listen to episodes. Now, how this show will break down um, is every week I'll put out a new episode kind of focusing in on a specific figure or moment in African-American history and not only giving you information historically, but we'll also tie it together using literature like um, different readings, maybe, and poetry, uh, but also leaning into the visual art. So talking about pieces and paintings that have been made that really tie into the message and the symbolism of that particular moment in history. So I hope that you rock with me. This is a totally new way for me to be able to uh, perfect my uh, craft of speaking to people about something I'm passionate about, but also tying it into the work that I do every day in museum spaces by connecting the art and the history together. Um, it's going to be an interesting journey. So I hope that you listen. We'll put out uh, for this first season, I'm going to do about 10 people that I'm really passionate about, really excited about. And um, we'll continue moving forward. So please share Please listen and really um, make notes and, and really get invested in, in what's happening, reading, maybe along with me and uh, keep growing in African-American history. Between me and the other world, there is ever an unasked question. Unasked by some through feelings of delicacy, by others through the difficulty of rightly framing it. All, nevertheless, flutter round it. They approach me in a half-hesitant sort of way. I me curiously or compassionately. And then, instead of saying directly, how does it feel to be a problem? They say, I know an excellent colored man in my town. Or, I fought at Mechanicsville. Or, do not these southern outrages make your blood boil? At these, I smile or am interested or reduce the boiling to a simmer as a, the occasion may require. To the real question, 
how does it feel to be a problem? I answer seldom a word. Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, Souls of Black Folk, 1903. All right, everyone. So you just heard a section of um, a really incredible uh, chapter of Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois's 1903 work, Souls of Black Folk. Um, that particular section comes from a section we're going to talk about a little more in depth in just a second called Of Our Spiritual Strivings. Before we dive into the actual written text from Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, it's important that one, I tell you a little bit about why um, he's the first figure that we'll talk about, but also um, really understanding um, why I wanted to talk about him to begin with. So every summer, um, well, when I was, let's start a little earlier. When I was in college, um, I was introduced to Dr. Du Bois. Um, I was about 19. I was reading Up From Slavery just in my leisure. Um, and that is a text uh, by Booker T. Washington. And in that text, I was really interested in the language, the way that Booker T. Washington wrote. It was really, really sharp. Um, and I also was reading Frederick Douglass, uh, the narratives of Frederick Douglass as well. So I was just reading and consuming all of these like different, um, really um, foundational black texts um, when I was about 19. Um, and I w was studying um, the black history uh, writings through John Hope Frank, Dr. John Hope Franklin, the late great um, historian, Dr. John Hope Franklin. And he talked about Du Bois in his book, um, From Slavery to Freedom, which has gone through several editions. So Dr. John Hope Franklin wrote this incredible history book and it's gone through several editions and Dr. Du Bois is mentioned in quite a few of them. Dr. Du Bois is mentioned in several African-American history texts. So I was like, I should probably check this book out. Now, when I first read it at 19, it was way too advanced for me. I did not understand what he was talking about. Um, Dr. Du Bois's Souls of Black Folk is a very dense text. So it, and, and not dense in a way that it's not interesting, but if you're um, not really prepared or in a headspace to read it, it's going to be kind of hard to consume it. So that was a little challenging for me. But then I got to college and I started taking, because I was in college, but I was transferring. So I had this like space where I was in some downtime and um, I was reading Du Bois and Washington and Douglas. And then when I got to the University of Arkansas, uh, I transferred in and I, I was taking African American history. Um, and I had transferred from the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff to the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville, where I did my undergraduate work. And um, while I was there, I, one of my professors um, had us reading Dr. Du Bois. Now, in most African-American history classes uh, in my undergrad experience, we read Dr. Du Bois. So I got used to the writing. I got used to the the language, the cadence of his words, his language, and it was something I grew familiar with, but it, it didn't really resonate until the summer that uh, Michael Brown was murdered. Um, that was when, and, and Ferguson um, had its um, uprising. That was when 
I was very much um, uh, weighted by the words of Dr. Du Bois. And then the, also with the Charleston um, massacre when the nine black church uh, parishioners were, were murdered uh, in their church, that was another really hard time where I looked to the language of Du Bois that summer to really anchor myself in understanding that we as black people have been here before and really pushed myself toward a mindset of wanting to learn black history in a way that would remind me of my power every day and uh, encourage other black people to see theirs as well. So Dr. Du Bois was a real, uh, I became a student of his as uh, the Black Lives Matter movement really took shape and also um, I became even more of a student of his as I began to work in art spaces, which in museum spaces. So that was even more important for my development. Um, when I started to learn a little bit like contextually about who Du Bois was, um, I was a little more, um, I, I was more interested in, in his writing. Um, Dr. Du Bois was born in, on February 23rd, 1868 in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Um, his father left the family when he was very young and his mother um, in the late 19th century, early 20th century is dealing with several different elements of existence as a black um, American, but also she's dealing with some physical elements as well. So it's a lot going on in her life, it's a lot going on in their lives, and it's something that really um, positions Du Bois in a way to think about his journey. Um, du Bois, Dr. Du Bois becomes a very dedicated academic um, as he's a, uh, in his youth, he's a very, very brilliant. He's a genius, right? He's really, he would be in today's times considered a genius. Very bright, very sharp, brilliant. Um, he goes on, you know, to become valedictorian of his high school class. Now, another really interesting thing when we think about Du Bois as a figure in African-American history and his voice and how his voice is oftentimes in uh, a conversation or in conflict for some um, with other black leaders, we have to kind of anchor him in the fact that he's growing up in an interracial society. Um, I wouldn't say it's completely inclusive, but it is one that is... Um, a little different from other black leaders like Booker T. Washington and so many others. And then additionally, Du Bois is not born into the system of slavery. So he's born a couple years after the Civil War. So he's experiencing life in a very different, and he's up, you know, he's in a more northern area. So he's experiencing life in a very different um, uh, view and, and perspective than some of the leaders that he'll go toe to toe with uh, in, his, in his future. Um, he goes on to go to Fisk. Um, he goes to the University of Berlin and studies. But Du Bois is claimed to fame as becoming the first African American PhD to graduate from Harvard University. And he writes this book. Um, well, he writes more of his his thesis. His doctoral dissertation is based on 
uh, the African slave trade and it's published and you can actually read it and it's actually really 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 incredible um, to think that he's writing and researching and building this incredible work um, at that time so the piece is called his thesis is the suppression of the African slave trade to the United States uh, of America from 1638 to 1870 so he's doing a lot of critical work doing a lot of critical thinking and utilizing his skills as a historian uh, very early on he goes on to do really incredible sociological work with his piece um, the Philadelphia Negro and that is a really really powerful uh, publication that comes about in 1899 um, and it positions him as a very very powerful voice in sociology he's already a powerful voice in history he's just gaining traction as this really really influential leader um, in 1903 when Du Bois is writing um, when he write when he's asked to put these essays that he's written over the period uh, between 1897 and 1903, he's writing uh, for several different publications. And in 1903, this uh, particular publisher asks him to put these collections of his writings together. So he takes a couple that he's done, and then he writes a few more, and you get this incredible masterpiece of a uh, a book that is the anchor of just about every African-American discipline. Um, and it's incredible. The souls of black folk, um, the souls of black folk is one, it, you know, what? it actually is my favorite book, which is funny cause it didn't start that way, but it is my favorite book. I read it. Like I said, every summer I just dive into it with more in an, uh, of an intention and more of a, uh, perspective like it's almost like I take all of my baggage from the year and, and just try to negotiate it with this book and try to sit with Du Bois and like you know really have this conversation with him about how I feel and the challenges and what's going on and here he feels that same way and it's just it's really great so I really enjoy that text um, but one of the things that Du Bois does that I think is also really interesting is that he is including music, right? So he's in including language and poetry that is, um, you know, very uh, foundational for the understanding, for the movement or the flow of that chapter. But then he's adding these bars of um, music for to, to really get us thinking about um, a chapter, the sorrow songs or spirituals, right? So that's why I included that spiritual from the Fisk Jubilee Singers because it almost, I'm trying to structure this particular program in the way of kind of a Du Boisian uh, a chapter, right? So you've got this poetry and you've got this music and then you've got this really intensive consideration of like black thought and art and all these different things. Um, so Du Bois is writing this book and um, it, it speaks, it moves, it makes you laugh, it makes you cry. It's, it's really a heavy piece and when you're, um, when you are thinking about the time he's writing it, a couple of things always come to my mind when I think about the time that he's writing this book. And one of the things is that lynchings are rampant at that time. Um, the late Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth um, in a, a, a really powerful documentary, the, uh, Eyes on the Prize, he talks about how we'll never 
truly know the number of black people who were murdered, you know, in with, you know, by lynching. Um, we'll never know an, a specific number, but the number that the Equal Justice Initiative with Brian Stevenson, the, the number that they've concluded through their research is over 4,000. So you've got several, and in Arkansas, here in Arkansas, it's at, at this point of uh, 200, almost 300 people in one city in Elaine in 1919. So Du Bois is writing this book uh, in a specific really transitional time for the United States, but for African Americans, really this is really critical time. You've got the, the sharecropping uh, um, uh, patterns happening and you've got all of these things, lynchings and minstrelsy is still moving. And minstrelsy is like these genre uh, shows where you'd have performers get out on stage in blackface. And sometimes they would be black, but um, you know, the, the the minstrelsy show was developed by white um, performers and was very lucrative in its time and, and really uh, uh, built in a lot of these uh, stereotypes and narratives that we have today. So Du Bois is positioning himself as a thinker, a radical voice at that time. He's writing of our spiritual strivings, which we'll talk about in the next segment. And he's writing um, a, a number of different chapters exploring the uplift of black people and how black people should move forward. And some of his experiences in seeing the, the, the you know, the, deprava the depravity of black people and what we should do and how he's gonna do it. And really just having this real, um, conversation really he's talking about Alexander Crummel who is a leader of, of black liberation at that time but also really the black uh, the black voice intellectually he's a, an Episcopalian a priest at the time he's really mobilizing black intellectuals at that time Alexander Crummel um, and then you've got chapters on the passing of the firstborn where Du Bois loses his son is in and is in this real back and forth with God right and and the society and thinking about um his son and and who his son might have been the things he might have avoided having you know dealt with some of that you've got uh several chapters um that deal with um industrialization and all these different things and he's in atlanta so he's really you know kind of um settling himself within a black community that is developing and and, and you know educating itself and doing things like that but the most pivotal chapter in the souls of black folk and probably the most popular is of mr booker t washington and others which is a chapter specifically addressing the uh, tuskegee principal booker t washington who is at the time really really positioned as the leader of black the black community the black experience during the late 20, uh, 19th and early 20th century after frederick Douglass dies booker t washington kind of assumes this role um of really being like the the spokesman if you will for black people which is really problematic but that's what it was and so Booker T. Washington is going around and in the late 19th century, he's trying to acquire funds to ensure Tuskegee's continued growth. And in doing so, he is uh, really sitting with white philanthropists and really selling this program as something that is supposed to um, 
develop black people to be um, you know the best workers that they can be so taking on these different trades and really not uh, uh, pushing about voting and all these different things really uh, really asserting Washington's really asserting that, that those things will come in time but right now we just need to focus on building up our community um, but Washington is, you know, uh, from a different era. He is born into slavery. He is, a, you know, a product of the South. And he does understand the dangers of lynchings and, you know, uh, the dangers of being in spaces where his very life could be on the line. So he is kind of playing the game while also, um, you know, still doing things to uplift the black community. While Like he's still uh, giving money to have cases tested and he's still doing things within the narrative of blackness to try to develop black people but Du Bois um, and Washington initially are somewhat connected in in mutual respect and uh, acknowledging each other's mutual successes but then you start to get this radical shift as black intellectuals are challenged um, and uh, by the Tuskegee machine and really uh, censored by the Tuskegee machine um, when they start to question if the philosophy, the educational philosophy of just, you know, getting these trades and not really aspiring to ensure civic engagement, if um, really starting to question if that is is if that's not even questioning it but really pushing back on it when black intellectuals start saying no that won't work we need to have protection of our american rights that's our citizenship we're talking about this is our basic human rights you really start to get uh you know du, uh, du bois and the washington conflicts that's when it starts to you know really come to the forefront because um washington and du bois are both trying to figure out the best strategy to advance black America, but they're doing it in two different ways. And both ways, you know, are, you know, fine. Like you always need people who can do the job of building the space. And then you need the teachers who can teach in the space. Like those things are both needed. But the challenge that I always find really interesting within the context of their conflict is this narrative of access, right? To politics, to policy, to being able to really advocate for radical change within this idea of um, the American rights that you inherit you know that you have as a citizen so it's really interesting and then you have voices like Ida B Wells and Anna Julia Cooper and um, William Monroe Trotter so you have other black voices at the time who are just as adamant about Booker T Washington's uh, educational philosophy being the antithesis of what black people need at that particular time. Um, it's funny to me that black people are often very, um, the way that we, it, it's, 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 and I don't mean funny, haha, I mean peculiar, that's probably a better word. It's always really interesting to me how we talk about Du Bois in Washington, because like I said, they're policies like their positions their educational perspectives are both important right there are people who may lean more into the trade more the hands-on work of like building something doing something as opposed to more of a you know a liberal arts education you you have those two narratives but really i think we get lost in that um 
and looking at the philosophies instead of looking at the core, which is the assertion that you have to give something up, like your basic citizenship, right? You got to give that up to be able to really function in the society. Du Bois is really urging Washington to not uh, promote those narratives because um, they as a as the representative of like black people and the power that he has it does you know create a space where people start to think that that's okay right to, to move in that way and then you start to really see jim crow manifest itself as washington is uh, going out and really discussing these ideas um there he does this speech in 1865 called uh, the Atlanta Exposition, um, Booker T. Washington. And in it, Booker T. Washington has a really important line where he says, um, in all things purely social, we can be as separate as the five fingers, but then, you know, come together in all things like mutual to progress. So he's really uh, asserting this separatist uh, narrative, this very like acknowledging this separation of the identities. And it's hard. It's, 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 it's rough when you start to see it become policy, when you start to see it become legalized practice within the context of um, de, jure, de jure and de facto, so legal and custom segregational policy. Du Bois keeps fighting. He's one of the founders of the NAACP who began as an interracial organization that seeks to deal with lynching right in a real way like really seeks to mobilize around that and create legislative policy that protects black people from this particular rampant violence um so he's an editor of the crisis he's writing articles on art and you know how art can be used as a tool to help foster a political you know mobilization he's talking about World War One, and then, you know, he reiterates when they come back how things, you know, we might have to close, you know, we might have to switch up our perspective because when, you know, soldiers return from World War One, they are treated just as badly, if not worse, than they were when they left. So you've got Du Bois thinking about that. It's just so many things that he's a part of. He's in the mix for in the mix for uh, the time where people are talking about communism and things like that, and you've got HUAC or the House Un-American uh, Committee that comes out with Joseph McCarthy, and they're questioning like Paul Robeson and Du Bois and all these people uh, based on their philosophy and how they've been mobilizing. So in the 1960s, Du Bois, uh, with the invitation of Kwame Nkrumah, who is the president of Ghana moves to Ghana, West Africa, and he lives there until his death. And this is another really interesting thing about Du Bois. Du Bois um, passes away, um, his physical body, you know, is no longer with us, but, you know, his spirit is with us, but he, his physical body, you know, passes away the night before the civil rights, uh, the, the night before the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. So the night before Dr. King's big day of I Have a Dream and John Lewis's speech and A. Philip Randolph and so many others, Du Bois passes away. So I always think that's a really interesting particular thing too. And, and his biographer, David Levering Lewis, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning biographer, um, begins uh, the Du Bois um, 
biography with that particular um, kind of full circle life, right, of living this incredibly long 90 year life of just being at the forefront of civil rights and civil, you know, uh, and, and really the fight for liberation for black people. Incredible man, incredible writings. And we're going to talk about one in just a second. So thank you for listening to that. Stick around. We're going to talk about of our spiritual strivings. And then we're going to talk about uh, an incredible piece by an artist named Radcliffe Bailey called Pensive that really beautifully uh, depicts Du Bois. So we're going to combine the chapter of our spiritual strivings and Radcliffe Bailey's 2013 work Pensive and we'll keep moving forward. All right. All right, that was the incredibly smooth sounds of Robert Glasper and Erica Badu with Afro Blue. Uh, it's one of my favorite records and I just love the way it flows and it's just really artsy to me and it's just really a great uh, segue into the arts that we're gonna talk about right now. Um, so we've been talking about Dr. Du Bois and his incredible book, The Souls of Black Folk. The first chapter you've already heard me read a little bit of uh, when you heard the segment, The Ever Unasked Question. Um, but also really important, uh, Du Bois lays out a couple of really important vocabulary words that are gonna be critical for you as you listen to this podcast and to any type of African-American history, anything. So Du Bois in his text uh, writes some really critical uh, lines and I'll read through a couple of them for you. Um, but one thing that he talks about with incredible detail um, and really gives voice to is this idea of the veil. Beyond the veil, the program, this podcast is based on Du Bois's idea of the veil. So this idea of the veil um, from what scholars um, are reading and, and really thinking Du Bois is, is writing is talking about um, this structure of institutional racism. In his text, Black Radical Democrat, Dr. W.B. Du Bois, Manning Marable, Manning Marable, who was a great historian, he wrote uh, this incredible biography and really highlighted that the veil is detailing uh, Du Bois's, um, it's giving a symbol to racism. It's giving it a different way to talk about it and really talking about the inability for black people to see white people and white people to see black people. And he's really the one who is the kind of the negotiator between the veil. So. This show is called Beyond the Veil because my goal is to get us to constantly be moving beyond these really uh, challenging uh, perceptions of race and identity by educating us in um, really how black Americans have fought and really pushed uh, beyond uh, these really rigorous um, obstacles that we daily interact with. So Du Bois uses the veil several times in this text, but he also uses a really important phrase that I work with a lot in my day-to-day -day as a museum educator. He talks about double consciousness, and I will read you um, a little bit of what he says. He says, after the Egyptian and Indian, the Greek and Roman, the Teuton and the Mongolian, the Negro is a sort of seventh son, 
born with a veil, there's that word, and gifted with second sight in this American world. A world which yields him no true self-consciousness, but only lets him see himself through the revelation of the other world. He writes, it is a peculiar sensation, this double consciousness. And here's that kind of defining of what that means. The sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others, of measuring one's soul by the tape of a world that looks on in amused contempt or pity. One ever feels his two-ness, an American, a Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one dark body whose dog strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder. The history of the American Negro is the history of strife, this longing to attain self-conscious manhood or womanhood, to merge his double self into a better and truer self. In this merging, he wishes neither of the older selves to be lost. He would not Africanize America, for America has too much to teach the world and Africa. He would not bleach his Negro soul in a flood of white Americanism, for he knows the Negro blood has a message for the world. He simply wishes to make it possible for a man to be both a Negro and an American without being cursed and spit upon by his fellows, without having the doors of opportunity closed roughly in his face. Now, Du Bois is writing this in a time that is so far, it's 1903, right? But he's writing this and it's still so important to the voice of black Americans today. This identity back and forth that black people are experiencing in this duality of existing as both American, but also being black and what that means in the negotiation, and you'll hear me use that word a lot because it's apparently one of my favorite words, but this negotiation of like how to exist in a, a world that has developed and is building itself up in one narrative while you exist in a totally parallel narrative. So it's really a beautiful synopsis on the conflict within the black self. Now, we know Du Bois is uh, taking some of these ideals and reframing them within the context of, of race and, and identity. Um, we know that other um, really important thinkers like Emerson dives into this consciousness of the, the dual self, but Emersonian uh, narrative really leans more into this philosophy of the spiritual and the physical self, right? It's more of this like back and forth with the physical and the spiritual self and trying to figure out which one to like deal with at which time. Really interesting. If you want to study more on that, I definitely encourage you to lean more into uh, some of the writings and you can definitely find a, a really great article on JSTOR. Um, I, the name escapes me of that writing, but there's a particular author of a, a work that really highlights Emersonian and Du Boisian uh, perceptions and, and, and usages of that term double consciousness. Now, double consciousness is super critical to understanding African-American art, right? And it's really also great when you have artists um, that lean into it, that show you imagery of this conflict, right? They use their elements, right? Their color, line, shape, texture. Um, they're using all these different uh, elements to be able to get you to a point of thinking about 
the duality of the black experience. You feel it, you sense it, you're questioning these different things. And uh, one artist that I want to kind of lean into today is Radcliffe Bailey, who does this piece called Pensive uh, in 2013. Now the medium or the materials that uh, Bailey is using is bronze and wood. And uh, this piece is from um, Milwaukee. So this was um, in Milwaukee. But uh, one of the things that Bailey is using and the thing that is highlighted is this idea of mixed media. Um, one of the things that he's diving into is Du Bois's um, double consciousness. That's actually one of the things that he literally talks about um, and kind of interprets in this piece. Now, if you've ever seen um, the piece by uh, Rodden, The Thinker, where you got that man like sitting down thinking, this piece is literally an echo of that piece, right? So it's actually just Du Bois sitting down and thinking, which I thought when I first saw it was so breathtaking. Like it is amazing. I was so excited when I first saw that work of art and I was preparing for this episode. Um, I had I'd seen it, you know, I, I work in museum spaces, so I, I'd seen it before in my research of Du Bois and kind of like building and facilitating, um, you know, uh, school um, educational programming type things. But the pieces blew me away. Okay, so um, Bailey, give you a little bit about him. Radcliffe Bailey was born in 1968 and um, he got his BFA from Atlanta College of Art in 91. He is uh, presenting this work of art um, once again in Milwaukee, um, but he is uh, using these two particular um, mediums, bronze and wood, and it's such a beautiful piece. It is just Du Bois sitting and thinking like, uh, fist on chin just the bronze uh, it's just so beautiful um, and in the uh, kind of overview of this particular piece it says Bailey believes that making things very personal um, by making things very personal he can achieve a sense of human universality um, he is deeply influenced by history by family by his community and by and his work reflects an appreciation for the alternative voices that shapes how we live now this piece is once again called pensive and it's from 2013 it is so beautiful um and it also is leaning into something i think is so 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 important um, it goes on to talk about pensive depicts African-American writer, historian, sociologist, editor, and activist, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois. And in, uh, it position, uh, in the position of Rodden's iconic, iconic work, The Thinker, which is uh, originally designed to kind of highlight uh, Dante Alighieri. Um, Dante Alighieri, of course, writes the Divine Comedy, but it's really like a darker text it's something that most high school students read if you've ever read Dante that's a really interesting piece but um, I think this line is also really interesting in an assessment of the work it writes um, 
Dante sits in his well-known position contemplating the circles of hell as described in Christian theology. In his epic poem, Alighieri wrote about his own life in exile, mirroring perhaps Du Bois's own alienation. So these two artists are using elements and materials and texture and all of these different things to have this idea of these writers as they are in conflict about the way that they are seeing the world or seeing theology or just oh it's just amazing like when you see how art can be used to have such an incredible powerful conversation incredibly powerful conversation it is so exciting so impactful be sure to head online and check out Radcliffe Bailey's incredible work, um, which is tied so elegantly to um, this particular topic that we're talking about today. Um, and once again, I really just want to lean into uh, Du Bois by reiterating the power of Du Bois to this day, right? As a historian, as a museum educator, as someone who is constantly thinking about race and how it can be taught and shared and, and, and challenged and transitioned. Um, du Bois is such a really important teacher for me. I'm constantly reading and, and striving to learn uh, from him and, and so many other voices of, of uh, my ancestry daily. And I encourage you to take some time this summer or in the fall or whenever you have a chance and, and look at Souls of Black Folk, really read it, um, and even find companion pieces like Ibram X. Kendi's Stamped from the Beginning is really beautiful and in, in, in how it has a complete section that kind of deals with Du Bois, but also uh, really just investigating um, Du Bois as a, a figure but even more so um, really thinking about how you connect to this consciousness that Du Bois is talking about and, and, and what that means in your day to day. I thank you so much for listening. This episode is kind of long because it is the anchor episode to uh, this particular uh, podcast. So I really want to make sure that you hear everything and know everything. Um, and really are able to grasp the full depth of Dr. Du Bois. This day is also really special because it is um, the birthday of Kwame Ture or Stokely Carmichael. So Stokely Carmichael um, was born on June 29th <coughs> in 1941, and today would have been his birthday, so I really want to try to get this episode out on his birthday because Stokely Carmichael, just like Dr. Du Bois and Anna Julia Cooper and Ida B. Wells and William Monroe Trotter and Booker T. Washington, like all these figures play such an incredible role in my life and their their voices are always like swimming around in my head and, and really something that I, I use in my day-to-day -day life and practice. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Please share this episode and um, I encourage you to really take some time and, and study Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois because he's an incredible voice, an incredible figure. He is the lion on the road that you will bump into every time you read African American history and look at an art piece or any type of political narrative, anything like that. Du Bois is an incredible anchor. So. Thank you to Anchor for this incredible uh, platform. Thank you to all of these incredible listeners. Please, please, please share this podcast. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next Saturday 
Um, and next Saturday, we'll lean into even more incredible uh, writings. But I want to close, close, close quickly with this poem by the incredible Paul Lawrence Dunbar, who is a contemporary, who was rather a contemporary of Dr. Du Bois, and who is thinking about uh, the veil and, and, and double consciousness um, and writing a little bit before Du Bois. But this poem is also really important to me and is something that I constantly connect with Du Boisian ideology. So I'm going to read it to you and then that will conclude our show. Um, the poem by Paul Lawrence Dunbar is called We Wear the Mask. He writes, we wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile with torn and bleeding hearts we smile and mouth with mirrored subtleties. But why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but oh, great Christ, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing, but oh, the clay is vile beneath our feet and long the mile. But let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. Incredible piece by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, so fitting with thinking of Du Bois, who comes a little bit after uh, Dunbar and writing this incredible work, um, Souls of Black Folk. Please check out Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Check out Dr. Du Bois. Uh, check out all the other writers. And in, of course, the Radcliffe Bailey 2013 piece, Pensive, that will do a really great work of helping you tie all of these themes and narratives together. Thank you. Once again, my name is Raven Cook. Tune in next Saturday. Have a great, great, great week. And thank you for listening to Beyond the Veil. Beyond the Veil has been brought to you by Foundation's Black History Educational Programming with the vision that strives to educate all people on the incredible legacy of Black Americans in the United States and around the globe, and a mission to provide quality, creative, and engaging educational programming that utilizes varied types of artistic expression, Beyond the Veil comes to you every Saturday and hopes to encourage you to not only look at art in a new way, but also learn African-American history every single day. To learn more about Foundations, follow us on Facebook at Foundations Black History Education or on Instagram at FoundationsRC. Once again, thank you for listening. Please share this program and continue to learn the incredible legacy of Black Americans in the United States and around the globe. This has been Beyond the Veil. Thanks for listening.